Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today on the show, we have Brooke Adams. Brooke is one of only six women to complete all six of the Abbott World Marathon majors before the age of 30. And not only that, she did it with an average time of two hours and 59 minutes. Just absolutely incredible. And actually, as you'll hear when we start the episode, as far as Brooke knew when we recorded the episode, actually, I'm recording this intro on Wednesday, March 14th, uh, right before um, putting this uh, putting this episode live, um, she found out yesterday that she wasn't actually the first woman to do it. Uh, I'm sorry, not the first, the youngest woman to ever do it at age 29. So actually, as she was completing the World Marathon Majors, five women completed it uh, last year at a younger age than Brooke. She wasn't aware of that when we did the episode. So as you'll hear, we'll make reference to the fact that she was the first. She wasn't actually the first, but to her credit, she actually called me uh, yesterday and said, hey, Matt, just want to give you a heads up about something. So it doesn't diminish the gravity of what she did. Uh, it only actually exemplifies just the kind of person she is that she brought to my attention that we didn't have it right in the podcast, but want to make that correction now. And like I said, it doesn't change a thing. Brooke is super fast. She works very hard. She was a good high school runner, uh, ran for a little bit at West Virginia, but for the most part didn't run in college and is somebody who has taken a lot from her family background. She is the daughter of dairy farmers. She's the sister of dairy farmers. She's an assistant principal at a school uh, in her hometown, and she is just dominating running on the side. And a lot of what she's done has been basically taken from uh, what she's learned from her father. Her father has multiple sclerosis and lost the ability to walk about 20 years ago, uh, but he's still out working the dairy farm. And uh, just like the rest of the Adams clan, uh, he's a hard worker, as is Brooke and as is everybody else in that entire family. So I hope you like this episode with Brooke. I want to thank a lot of people who've reviewed the podcast over the past week. Thank you so much for doing it. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the feedback, and uh, yeah, when you do that, it gets the podcast out to more people. Uh, Apple Apple Podcasts actually recommends podcasts to people now, uh, as you might see when you go through your podcast catalog, and that's one of the ways they do it. So thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate it, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Brooke Adams. Hello, Brooke, and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. Hello. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be on your show. Oh, please. The, uh, the, the honor is all mine. I, uh, it is certainly um, an amazing thing to talk to somebody who is the youngest female to complete all six Abbott World Marathon majors. You just did Tokyo a few weeks ago. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. It was a great experience. I can imagine not only... Did you you set that record, which is just, I mean, how many, it's un, un, literally an unbelievable thing. I, I can't say enough about it, but not only did you do that, but you ran 258 in Tokyo, 84th female overall. This is your second fastest marathon and your fifth sub three hour marathon. And if I can do the math correctly, it, I think you ran or averaged 258, 259 in all of your Abbott World Marathon majors? Yes. The one that I did not break three hours in is Berlin. So 
I'm already scheming and how to get back there and try to achieve that goal. Oh, my goodness, Brooke. You're such a perfectionist. <laughs> I feel like runners were goal-oriented, and I feel like I have to get back there, and I, I would really like to do that. I love Germany, so. Now, when you went over to Tokyo, what was it like from a logistic perspective in terms of being able to navigate the city and just all, you know, you're flying into maybe a country you've never been before. I don't know about that, but, you know, just how do you navigate the logistics of going to a foreign marathon and trying to make it as seamless and less stressful as possible? I think Tokyo being my last stop in the sixth marathon, I did that on purpose because I knew it was going to be the hardest one to try to swing. So, it actually worked out perfect at my school. That was our midwinter recess that week. So, I mean, so many different things that it took time to adjust to. Um, it's actually, Tokyo is 14 hours ahead. So when I was running on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, it was 7 p.m. Saturday for my family and friends back home. So the jet lag, uh, the 12-hour flight, being direct flight, um, all of that. The food was different, obviously, and just trying to play it safe because so much of their food was like raw sea, um, raw seafood, which I absolutely love. But I, my coach, he was like, "You need to stay away. Don't eat anything weird." Of so, course, right? I mean, I feel like I've heard horror stories, even from elite runners who've had like a bad piece of fish, or even down in Austin, like a bad a bad burger and all of a sudden it like, you know, completely messes up not only that race, but then some upcoming races as well. Absolutely. And you don't want to put all that, you know, the months of training and the flight and everything that you put into the planning behind it and then eat sushi and then <laughs> have something happen. So I was boring. I was, you know, usually I like to go and experience everything and I avoided the sake and the sushi and I, step clear to you know the carbs in the water now did you were you able to indulge at all after the race oh absolutely i definitely had afterwards some sushi and some green tea ice cream that i didn't really like but i i was really building it up the whole week and i think that's why i was so let down when i finally got to have it it wasn't what i wanted it to be now how much did you know about that marathon going in from a logistics standpoint not not only just like getting ready for the race but like the race course itself how you'd be segmented in the corrals and all that sort of thing i definitely think america does a really nice job with their websites and relying information i mean like for boston for example they always are sending out newsletters and checking up on you and i feel like with the international races i'm like checking online if i'm still registered because i haven't heard from them yet and um so i feel like it was kind of hard to find out tracking for my family and friends and it was hard to find the course elevation and the course route but after some digging, and one of my friends who went, she also ran with me. Her husband is, like, an expert at that. He's really good online, and he helped with that. But I also had two friends that were in the quest of doing the World Marathon Majors. They ran it last year. So I took a lot of advice for them. Um, one of the things that was really, really hard for me is with the Tokyo Marathon, there's a lot of out and backs. It kind of looks like a spider with, like, legs, and you kind of, like, go to the end of the leg and then come back, go to the another end of another leg and come back. And there's tall buildings all around, so your DPS actually doesn't work. So my coach, he was trying to convince me based on, 
you know, other runners that did Tokyo, he's like, you need to turn off your GPS and you need to turn off your auto lap. And I was, I mean, I was super nervous because I'm one of those runners that like, okay, if someone tells me I have to hit the certain time, I'll run smart. I will run a negative split, but I need to see that data. Like I need to see what I'm currently doing. And that whole week he was like, have you turned off your GPS yet? And I didn't, I didn't. And then the day before the race, I finally did. And I had to go off a feel. And what I did is I split every 5K. So I knew what I had to be around for every 5K and split that and then try to hit that pace. But I was worried because if you messed up somewhere in the middle, you wouldn't know that until the end of that, you know, third mile. That's So you, what, you just use like the normal like stopwatch feature on your watch? I just, yep, I just used elapsed time. Okay. So and we should mention your coach is James McCurdy from McCurdy Trained? Yes, um, who he actually coaches a number of runners that we've had on here. Um, actually, his uh, his fiance, um, I recorded an episode with her, Heather, uh, two weeks ago, and actually will come out next Monday. And she was a, she was a hoot as well. Um, so I'm surprised to hear that you that you feel the need to rely on the watch so much, given their, your consistency with marathons uh, in the past. I would think that you'd have that you know slightly sub seven minute pace pretty much dialed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I was just lacking the confidence of having that, you know, the crutch of having your watch there. And I was trying to explain that to James. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm nervous. He's like, this isn't your, I mean, he's pretty much said this isn't your first rodeo. Like you're, you know what you're doing. You've done this before. Like you're fine. And I got to that first 5k mark and I lapped it and I was within, I think it was within 10 seconds of the pace he wanted me to hit. And with every 5k split, all of them were in within 40 seconds of each other. And I still got, got faster as the race went on. So I feel like after about the second, you know, 5K auto lap, my confidence built up and then I stopped worrying about the watch, you know. Did he laugh at you afterwards? Like, I told you not to worry about this. Yeah, I think he thinks I'm a freak <laughs> and I'm like, I worry about that. But it, I mean, that's okay. I mean, I care a lot. I'm really passionate towards this and I, I want to do well. You know, we as runners, we're very hard on ourselves. And I, yeah, he did. He laughed at me. And I, I remember asking him before, I'm like, do you think I'm going to break three? I really want to break three for this one. And he's just kind of like, yes, Brooke. Like, <laughs> and laughed at me again. Oh, my God. So when you were over there, did you have certain runners that you were keying off of? Like, did you have some people in the field that you recognized? Um, no, I didn't. Um, I was just kind of going off of what felt like where I should be at. I did see – usually I try to run smart in negative split, so I like to start off slower than my, you know, the three-hour pace mark. So I did see ahead their pace their pace setters – they wear balloons on their hats. So I did see the three-hour pace group ahead of me. And then I think by the second set, like before the 10K mark, I caught up to them. So I held on to them for a little bit. And then it was after the halfway mark, I felt good. So I, you know, ran ahead because there were so – I feel like that pace groups, you know how crazy and, like, crowded it is to run with them. Yeah, especially if you're around those big times, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the like a certain hour mark or a half hour mark. Um, I feel like those draw a lot of people, especially for the three hour marks. I would think that for a lot of a lot of gentlemen would view that as like as a potential BQ. I don't know if they would in, in Tokyo. I guess I can't speak to that really, but I know say you were at you know a race. You know, you live in New York. I live in Rhode Island. If you're looking at a marathon in our area, 
you know, look at the three hour and the three and a half hour time. Those are like the hallmark times because people look mm-hmm. at them as BQ qualifiers. Yeah, I would have to say there was about 50 people. I mean, in that, you know, the three hour pace group and there was multiple pacers. There was actually somebody in the front of the pack and in the back of the pack. And it was just every turn I was dreading because I'm like, okay, I don't want anyone to step on the back of my shoe. I don't want to elbow anybody. And it was mostly like, mostly men, but there was like two other girls um, with me. And it was, it was nice to feel like that girl power together with this strong field of, you know, fast men. Yeah, I can imagine that. That makes a lot of sense. Now you've done a lot in a very short amount of time from a running perspective. So you're 29 years old. Uh, as we mentioned, you set uh, the record here with six uh, Abbott World Marathon majors. So when did you start running? Um, well, I started running in high school, but I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was really super driven or competitive just yet. I actually um, am from a small community, and I was cheerleading. And I had this cross-country, there's this cross-country coach at my high school, and what he, his name was Paul, his name is Paul Stewart. He was trying to build up a good, strong girls and boys cross country team. So in New York state, we have to run the six laps, the mile and a half um, for a physical fitness test in gym class. And he would look at people's times and try to recruit people based on that. So I remember he reached out to me when I was in high school and he's like, you really, you know, you should stop cheerleading. It's a dangerous sport and you should run cross country. And eventually, I liked this teacher, um, and I, you know, I, I went for it. So one year, I ended up doing both sports. I did cro- cross country and cheerleading, and we ended up going to states in cross country, and um, it it showed some promise. So I ended up quitting, not um, returning to cheerleading the year after, and I just pursued cross country and cheerleading. Um, sorry, track, and then my senior year. We won section one. I won sectionals individually, and our team made it to states again, and we did pretty well. But then after that, I really, I kind of um, dropped off from running for a while. And uh, when I went to college, it was a little much. I was on the team at West Virginia University, but it was just it's different. Like I went from being, you know, you're a you're a little fish in a big pond once you get to the college level. And where did you where did you go to high school? Randolph Central School, Randolph High School. So where you're still, so so where you are now? Yes, that's where I live now. Um, I was a teacher there too, so that kind of like got me back into running. Like I went to college and I stopped running, and I feel like I, you know, I I gained weight. I wasn't as healthy, um, and then when I graduated from college, I was hired as a social studies teacher, and I was also the track coach, and I. It's a small community. Um, love this town. It's very rural. My parents are dairy farmers. And I was like, I'm going to need a hobby coming back and, you know, being around here. So I actually started joining a running club, a local running club, and I started doing local races. And I was doing 5Ks at first and hoping I placed in my age group. And then it turned into a 10K. And I remember after this one 10K, I thought I was going to die. I'm like, I don't think I can ever run 6.2 miles ever again. Like, (laughs) I just remember, like, dry heaving, and I thought that that was my max. Like, I'm like, I don't think I can ever run longer than that distance. (laughs) So when you were at West Virginia, did you – were you on the cross-country team or the track team or both? I was on – I started on the cross-country team as a walk-on, 
and then I ended up I ended up like not pursuing it to the indoor and outdoor season. So I just did cross country for a few months and I loved it. And I wish if I had the passion towards running that I do now, I would have stuck with it. But I think I was so overwhelmed and like disappointed. So. Well, that's a huge, that's a huge transition. Like you just mentioned Randolph, um, you know, isn't the most urban area. And then all of a sudden you go to a huge university and, um, you know, West Virginia is you know, it's very tight knit and there's a lot of school spirit there, but it also is a whole different world, I would think. Oh, yes. They had like Canadian national, you know, stars and the cream of the crop from a lot of the eastern United States. And it's just like I felt like I the girls were awesome. The coach was awesome. I just felt like I was out of my league. And instead of working harder, like I would now with my mindset, I think between you know, just the new experience and, you know, being overwhelmed and the new classes and whatnot, I, uh, I chose not to pursue that interest. And I didn't run for a few years. And I feel as if maybe that's why I'm so passionate now. So I try to look at it as, as a blessing in a sense. Do you mean like you, like you, you regret what you, do you regret that you didn't pursue it then or that, you know, you're trying to make up for lost time? Um, I think by not pursuing it then, I feel like I did burn out, and I feel as if it really fired my passion for right now. Mm. So I guess I don't look at it necessarily as a regret. Sometimes I wonder, like, oh, I wonder what it would have been like if I stuck with it. But I think it all worked out, and I'm very happy in the end. Yeah, I mean, shoot, your record speaks for itself. I mean, that's that's for sure. And you mentioned that you were in sectionals in high school. And in Western New York, some people may not know this. I know this a little bit because I work at Providence College. We've recruited some, specifically some women on our cross-country team um, here at PC. And PC actually won the national title a couple of years ago in women's cross-country that are from the Western New York area. And that's a pretty a pretty solid running area. Yes, lots of good, strong running programs around here. Yeah, that's for sure. Sorry, so you go back home and you kind of the, – the, I guess the, the fire for running begins to get rekindled. And after you run that, that 10 K, obviously you, you, <laughs> you, 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 your mind shifts changed a little bit because you, you've certainly run a lot longer since then. So mm-hmm. what about that 10 K or that experience led you to go much, much farther as opposed <laughs> to just pack it in and say, Hey, I'm just going to be a more of a 5k person. So after that 10K, I had a friend who ran there, too. She reached out to me and said, hey, there's a half marathon I signed up for. It was the Erie Half Marathon. And she goes, I am not going to run it, but I don't want to waste my registration fee. You should run it in my place. And I always grew up with, you know, my dad, he was always, uh, I guess, to say frugal with money, like we hated wasting things. So what I decided to do is she's like, please take my spot. So I ended up running a half marathon that same weekend. And when I finished, a friend next to me was like, hey, you do know that that pace you ran that half marathon in would got you a BQ. And I'm like, what's a BQ? I'm thinking BQ. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, a Boston qualifier for the Boston Marathon. I was like, really? So I was feeling pretty happy and you know, this new goal, I started thinking of different things. And I remember that we had a family picnic that weekend and I went home and I told, you know, my dad and my uncle and my family that were around, I said, Hey, I think I'm going to do a marathon. I want to qualify for Boston. 
And I had this one uncle who always, I love him to death. He always wants to give me a hard time. Um, he, he just bursted out laughing. And he was like, you can't qualify for Boston. And I said, what do you mean? Like, I think I could. I did that without training. I mean, I would obviously train and work harder. And he's like, there's no way you can run a marathon and qualify for Boston. And I remember being so upset because I was like, really excited and wanted them to all support me. And this one uncle was just challenging me. And my father, who was always my hero, um, great guy, hard worker, dairy farmer. He actually, he has multiple sclerosis. So he lost his ability to walk 20 years ago. And he kind of always like told my brothers, um, and my sister and I to take care of your health and, you know, to take care of your body and inspired us to work hard and be be good athletes or be good people. He, I remember him turning to my uncle and saying, you know, don't doubt Brooke because once she says she's going to do something, she'll do it. She will work her hardest to try to accomplish that goal. And when he said that, what kind of effect did that have on you? Did you know he would say that or was that um, kind of a surprising gesture for him to do? My dad's a man of not many words. So when he says something, he means it. Like I believe it has more merit. So when he said that, that encouraged me to go home that night, and I registered for the Presque Isle, the Erie Marathon. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I woke, <laughs> so did, I woke up the next day and thought, what did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> All right, one last question about your uncle, though. So did he, did he have a running background? Like, did he have some sort of, you know, did he have like, a, an opinion that was grounded in fact, or did he just know the Boston Marathon was really cool and, you know, you weren't a marathoner? No, he's a runner as well. Um, he's an, I wouldn't say he's a marathon runner, but he's, he's a number guy. He's a number cruncher. Um, so I feel like he was educated in saying what he was saying, but I don't think he understood, you know, uh, what I wanted to do and how hard I was willing to work for it either. All right. So how long did it take you till you got that BQ? Um, the Erie Marathon. Boom. First time first and I thought of him too I thanked him after I needed a 335 and I ran a 332 50 something and that last mile I just kept on replaying again in my head what my father said and I was like I can do it because my dad was there uh, my best friend was there my family was all there like you know, and they, the Erie course is nice because it's a loop course. So you see, you know, your family and your friends a couple times. And I, I didn't want to let them down. And I kept thinking of thinking of them and what my dad said and him being in a chair and, you know, what he would do to be able to walk. And I'm like, okay, you can do this. Let's go. Your feet hurt, but you can still run. You can still finish. Now, how often do you reflect on the fact that your dad hasn't been able to walk for the past 20 years? Um, often, often, um, he goes to a lot of my, a lot of my races and he's very, he's very proud of me. For example, like the London marathon, that one's really hard to get in for a lot of the marathons. If you have a fast time, they will automatically accept you. But for London, it's only for UK residents, the time, the good for time qualification standard. So for the UK, I ran for the Multiple Sclerosis Society and raised almost three thousand dollars through um, through fundraising, and it was just really cool to um, 
I should do something I love, but also help out somebody I love a lot as well. Of course. I mean, you know, raising money for charity is always a positive thing, but it, it certainly is more, much more impactful when you have that direct connection, you know, to the, the recipients of the aid. Mm-hmm. Yep, I absolutely agree. So what, that, that brings me to a question, though, that was, this kind of doesn't go in the timeline of what we're, we're talking about, but what's the biggest challenge you've ever had in a, in a race or a marathon? Like the biggest hurdle you've overcome? The biggest hurdle in training, or you would say actual race I, day? I guess I would say an actual race day, but if your biggest hurdle was in training, then hey, then that, that works too. I would say race day was figuring out how to run the marathon. Like, I remember uh, doing Boston, and then I went out. I was just so excited. Like, you're so hyped. Like, I feel as if with the smaller races, you know the people around you. You can pace off of that. And, like, getting new into running, especially my first Boston, the you know, you went off, and it was downhill. The crowds, the people, they suck you right in. I think I PR'd my 5K, the 10K, and the half marathon. My first Boston, I'm like, oh, no, this isn't good. And then I think my second half of the race was like 10 minutes uh, longer. My time was so complete opposite of a negative split. And just trying to figure things out, like um, just negative split to run smart. You want to get faster. Don't let the crowd suck you in. I feel like that and actually like having coaching and understanding the marathon more. Like I remember I did a marathon in – like my 5k racing flats and wondered why I couldn't walk, walk, you know, for the next week very well. So I feel like there's always something new to learn. And whereas before I feel like I didn't have that guidance, I was paired up, you know, met some pretty awesome people through running who knew a lot more than I do. And they really took me under their wing and helped me out. So I feel as if now I'm figuring out my pacing and where I belong. Well, Boston's tough for that because you get that downhill start in that first half marathon. It's like if they just cut off the race at the half marathon, it would be like PR central. <laughs> yes, it would, for sure. All right, so you, so you obviously ran you know, a, a tough first Boston marathon, but which is to be expected, that's for sure. But when did you get the bug for all of these other marathons and try to accomplish, you know, become a little world traveler, so to speak, with your running? Well, but after my first Boston, I was like, okay, whew, that was a lot of fun, but I need to become a smarter runner. And then the next year, I returned, and I slowly started chipping away. That's the one thing I like about Boston, or these courses you go back to, you can see your improvement. Like, I believe my one Boston, I did uh, a 329. The next year, I did a 318, and then I did a 307, and I was like, then I got the bug, like, I want to try to break three. So I heard Chicago was a nice, fast course. So I started training. Um, I met a, a different coach, and she's the coach of UB, Vicki Mitchell. And she helped That's me. That's University of Buffalo? Yes, yep. And I met with her, and I remember the first time, I think she was kind of like, wow, this girl's kind of clueless. Uh, when I met with her, um, it was after I ran um, an 18 flat 5K, and she goes, okay, so what's your tempo pace? And I'm like, oh. I don't know what that means. And she's like, well, <laughs> what do you do? You know, your 400 reps at. I'm like, uh, however I feel that day. She's like, well, what's your pace for long runs? And I was like, uh, yeah, whatever feels good. 
And she's like, you're completely, you're like, you're going to this blind. <laughs> like, That's yeah. a, that is that, that little series of questions that she asked you, it like makes me so confused about how you were such a good runner at that point. It's a miracle almost that like you obviously have some, some, at least some inborn talent or just an ability to suffer at a rate higher than others, because you were at that point, you were, you were 307 marathoner and to approach your training that way is it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm awestruck right now. Yeah, thank you. I think, yeah, I feel like my friends joke and they say that I have a really high, high, um, high pain tolerance that I'm competitive. I hate losing and I always like push through. So they joke about that, but yeah. So I guess like you asked me what my biggest obstacle was, it was, being informed because I didn't know, you know, what I was doing. And it was really nice because that was the first person to ever really sit me down and say, okay, you, how many miles do you run a week? And I'm like counting in my head. I'm like, I don't, I, I don't keep a log or anything. And she made me this black and white plan that was like, okay, easy run this pace. This is a, you know, you're gonna do 800 repeats at this pace. And it was so nice. And that's the first time I had something that was like, Cut, you know, was custom made for me, and I went into Chicago, and that was my PR that race. And then six weeks later, I did New York City. I think it's six weeks later, and I ran. And that's I would have to say out of the world majors. That's the hardest course. And when I did New York City at the Expo, sorry, getting a little off track here. At the Expo, I met two girls, um, and they said, "Hey, you should sign up for Berlin." And I said, oh, no, I can't, I can't swing that. And they told me about the World Marathon Majors, and I heard of it before, but it always seemed like such a far-fetched school. And they were saying how they were going to – they already signed up, and they were going to travel, and I should go with them. Um, one girl was uh, a local teacher at a different school, and then her other friend was another sub-three-hour marathoner who wanted to, like, run together and pace each other. And I made myself a promise. I said, if you, because I thought Chicago was just a fluke thing. I'm like, I just had a good day, a fast day. And I made myself a promise. And I said, okay, if you break three in New York City, you deserve to go to Berlin and, and try the World Marathon Major. And this was six weeks after Chicago? Yeah, six weeks after. Now, is that, do you normally not spend that much time in recovery? Uh, I don't know what I was thinking. That, I think I just fell in love with the marathon and traveling. So... In 2015, I just did a lot of racing, and it probably wasn't the smartest thing ever, but... I don't know. It worked out. It, it did work. It did work out. So <laughs> I, mean, I tried to not do that many marathons a year. We're that close together. Right. So you mentioned that. All right. So you went to New York, which mm -hmm. off of six weeks after running Chicago, you just mm -hmm. said of the World Marathon majors that you view it as the toughest course. So, so how did it go for you? It went well. Um, those bridges in New York City, whoa. <laughs> it was definitely hilly. And then Central Park, like you think it's going to be, you know, it, it is. New York City Marathon is amazing. And you get to Central Park and you're like, okay, this is it. Like I'm almost done. But that is really hilly as well. And I found myself picking it up. I'm like, you want to go to Berlin. You really want to break three and sign up for Berlin tonight. <laughs> And I just, I did 2.59 in a few seconds, and that night I registered for Berlin. Oh, my goodness. That is fantastic. You're right. Central Park is hilly. I'm, I'm going to New York. Uh, like I said, I work at Providence College, so I'm actually going to the Big East Tournament in a couple of days. 
Um, the people who hear this, well, the Big East term will have already happened at that point. But, yeah, I always make sure I run Central Park when I'm in New York for travel. And, yeah, it's a great spot because you do have the rolling hills. And it's yes. kind of like, I mean, it's not technical. It's not a trail route. But, like, there's a lot of up and down, side to side that you can really get in there. Mm-hmm. Well, good luck to you. I love Central Park. Yeah, see, I'll be running it, like, while it's still dark outside. So I won't be able to get the full experience. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it certainly is enjoyable. Um, so, all right. So that, that, is, that is pretty amazing. You were able to fit all of that into 2015. Now, did you have some internal, like, timeline of, like, you, that you felt not eager or rushed, but that you really want to get this done by a certain age? Or what, what was, the, for you, the motivation to get these done seemingly as fast as possible? Um, well, I really, I wasn't in a rush to get them. Like, I knew I wanted to finish all six of them. And the girls that I started the journey with, they finished Tokyo last year. So I, being a history teacher too, I love traveling and I love sightseeing and seeing different things. So I kind of spread them out depending on where they fit in with my breaks for school. Cause I absolutely, I hate taking off of work. I hate, you know, missing my students or, you know, even as a assistant principal now, like I don't like not being there when the kids are in school. So I did London during our two week spring break. And I actually went backpacking through Europe before, probably also not recommended before a marathon. <laughs> but I went to Ireland and Scotland in Barcelona, Spain, and then London, and then ran the marathon. Um, and then this year, Tokyo fell during my midwinter break. So I didn't really miss school. So I guess I did it more instead of in a hurry. I wanted to enjoy the trip and not miss work at the same time. So I really spread it out. But um, I guess, yeah, so I just wanted to do it in a sense where I could actually really enjoy things as well. Yeah, that sounds like a great time. I, I, I can't even imagine, like, backpacking anywhere and then running a marathon. Running a marathon is hard enough as it is. So I feel you're basically <laughs> going on tired legs. But that brings up a, a, a good a, something I wanted to talk to you about is just energy level. So you were a teacher. You're assistant principal now. Mm-hmm. My wife is a teacher, so I'm able to see firsthand what – she feels like when she gets home, right? Because as a teacher and the teachers who are listening to this already know this, you're just on, right? You walk into your school, you're on, right? You have a smile on your face, whether you feel like smiling or not. And you just have to like, you have to be there for your students like full force. And then when you get home, it's just like crash, right? I mean, oh. least, like, I, and I've seen that. Um, and I wonder for you, you, you sound very energetic. You do a lot of things. You obviously, um, you know, put in a lot of miles as well. Do you always have a high energy level or is that kind of <laughs> continue to, to increase over time as you've done the running and all the mileage? Yeah, I definitely think everyone would describe me as very energetic or a, go, a go-getter. But, yeah, you just have to really, really want it because, I mean, a lot of it too was with teaching and then we had with coaching track for most of this. For most of my world marathon majors, like conquest and that, that journey, I was, you know, coaching track. I was a class advisor. I was different, the head of different clubs and whatnot. So. Yeah, why morning, not? Why not, right? You weren't, you weren't busy anyway. Yeah. <laughs> some mornings I would start running on my treadmill at 4 a.m. and not be able to finish all my workout, and then I'd have to come home and get on my treadmill at night again. I would run with the kids in track practice, and that was a way to get some of my miles in too, and it was really nice because, they didn't like their old coach beating them, so they would 
I'd push them and they'd push me. So, you just, I, I mean, if you want something bad enough, I definitely think you try to make, make it work. That is a, that's a great saying. It seems to be one of those things that comes up a lot in this podcast because everyone, as you know, you've listened to some of them, is, uh, you know, all the people who are, on the, who are on this show are, as I say in the intro, are balancing running with the rest of their lives. And that seems to be the common theme is that, hey, this is going to be hard. This is going to be tough. But if you really want it, then you can make it work. And if it's not something you really want, well, shoot, go find something you do really want to do. Um so you, you mentioned how you've been doing a lot of treadmill work, especially early in the mornings when it's dark outside. What's the longest run you've ever done on a treadmill? Hmm. This cycle, I did one that was 19 miles. Good <laughs> grief, Brooke. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I discovered, well, I finally downloaded Netflix and used that a lot. And especially, like, where I think the hard part with Tokyo, with it being February, I mean, I live an hour south of Buffalo, New York, so we have the lake, the lake effect snow, the really cold winters, the ice, and so it's really lots of times it's not feasible for me to run outside, so I did a lot of bonding with my treadmill with this training cycle. Now, are you able to do an apples-to-apples -apples comparison with your run outside? your runs outside versus your runs on a treadmill. And I say that because, like, I cannot. Like, if I run on the treadmill, my miles will be basically, like, 20 to 30 seconds slower. Um, <laughs> but I'd be producing the same effort. Like, how, how does that work for you? I feel as if for speed work, like, I feel as if the treadmill, you feel like you're going so much faster on the treadmill than as opposed to outside on the track. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, too. Like, you feel like you're working. I'm, yeah. <laughs> so do you and your coach, if you're doing one on the treadmill, do you alter the paces, or how does that work from a planning perspective? Yeah, he's really good about that, and I give James McCurdy a lot of, a big shout-out because with my crazy schedule, he's very accommodating, and, you know, he'll say, hey, go for feel, like, on your treadmill. And my treadmill's really old, too. He'll say, all right, let's adjust this pace. Start here, see how that feels, and then pick it up in your last few reps if it feels good. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because you really have to go by feel because it almost feels like you're working different muscles sometimes. Like you're doing a lot more <laughs> hip work, a lot less calves if you're running mm -hmm. on a treadmill than outside. Yeah, I agree with you. So what does your mileage look like now? Kind of your, say, your peak four to five weeks leading into Tokyo. How did how many miles were you doing and how would you segment your weeks? Would you do kind of like two workouts in the long run, one workout in the long run? Mm -hmm. The most my mileage got up to was in the mid seventies. Um, the most miles I've ever done in a month was actually this training cycle. And it was two seventy something. Like I think it was two seventy one or two seventy two, which I feel like isn't a lot compared to what a lot of marathoners do. But I physically do not think I could have fit too many more miles in. Um, I know with a lot of my training, especially like the weekday long run after a hard workout, I would just have to come home and I wouldn't sit down. Like I would change real quick and I would get on my treadmill because I know once I sat down, that would turn into a half an hour later. So I'd go down to my treadmill and I would try to get that in. If I had like a, like a long run of, let's say, 12 to 14 miles, I would try to do some miles in the morning just to make it seem a little smaller at night so you're not on the treadmill that long. 
I mean, if it was a nice day, which we really didn't have many nice days this winter, I would go outside. But um, I really like racing, too. So whenever I could get miles into a race and turn it into a workout, I'd like to do that, too, because I feel like you can deal with it more if it's a race setting and there's other people out there with you suffering. Now, you've run a lot of marathons at roughly the same pace, the 258 to 259. Do you feel like that that's your potential, or do you look down the line and say, hey, I can get faster than this, and I have I have other goals um, that might entail you know quicker paces? I definitely want to get faster. Um, I would like to try to get closer to a lower 250 and to see how that feels. Um, I definitely think once I could increase more mileage, maybe over the summer. I'm also signed up for Chicago again, and I really like that course. So I'm hoping I can get the low 250s for that race. Got it. And then I know for a lot of women who are consistently under three hours, kind of the next big, big goal is that Olympics, Olympic trials, Olympic trials qualifier. Excuse me. Yeah. I always, I always bungle that, that phrase. Um, the, the OTC B standard. Is that something that was a, a big goal for you? Or is that something that's a little bit in the periphery? Absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a big goal. I remember uh, the first time I said it aloud, it kind of scared me, but that was a goal. I was a guest speaker at our runner of the year banquet. And I remember talking about the world marathon majors. And at this point I haven't ran London or Tokyo yet. And they asked me, our run group, Chautauqua Striders, they asked me to be the guest speaker there and talk about the world marathon majors and what it was and my goal. And at that point I was registered for London. And I said, you know, Tokyo was going to be coming up in February, 2018. And that as of right now, I was going to be the youngest girl to do that. And then afterwards there was a question and answer. And I remember the first question, one of my, one of the runners in the audience said, so what's next? And I was like, oh, boy. And I was like, you know, it'd be really nice to try to run a 245 marathon. And I, I said, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud right now, but you really caught me off, off guard with that. Usually when there's question and answers, I feel like nobody really says anything. But someone said something, and I'm like, ah, oh, I can't believe I just said that out loud. And they're like, yep, we're writing it down because we think you're going to do it. And it was – it's good. I like that when people are, you know – say their goals out loud. I think I'm right now a far ways away from that, but I feel as if, you know, if I had more time to increase the number of miles I'm running or whatnot, it'd, it'd be nice to see. Cause I know, I feel like I am not at my peak potential yet. And I want, I want to get there. And you ran your first marathon, your first, uh, what you were in your first Boston marathon, 2014. Yes. All right. So you've have, so we just started 2018. So you've got four years of marathoning under your belt. So you're you're nowhere near your peak, Brooke. You can do it. Oh, thank you, man. I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, you have to you have to work hard, and there's a lot of luck involved too, right? You don't want to get injured, and who knows mm -hmm. what can happen. Um, but yeah, no, that that's that's really exciting. And um, and the one thing you know, you mentioned your your family background, your parents being dairy farmers, and it reminded me of this quote. Um, it was, this is going to sound super random. So please, I just want to apologize, but it was when steel mills were, were, were changing from the big monster mills to the mini steel mills. And they started moving them all around the country to these smaller farm towns. And they were asking, I forget which, which steel company was, they said, why are you moving them to farm towns again, you know, versus like the traditional steel towns? And they said, well, 
our, our thinking is we want people with a farmer's work ethic, so why not just move the steel mills to farm towns since they already have that work ethic? So yeah. with that in mind, do you feel like you gained something from a work perspective from your parents and seeing what they do uh, on the farm? Oh, absolutely. My parents um, and my grandparents, I mean, my grandpa, he's going to be 80 in a few years, and he works on the farm every single day. Still? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Despite his doctor's wishes, he's down there. My dad, he drives all the, he drives the tractors. I mean, like I said, hasn't been able to walk in, you know, so many years. But still, every day he's at the farm. Um, I have twin brothers that are taking over the farm as well. Like, and it's not like they don't take vacations that often. They don't all go on vacation at once. They're down there every day working, no excuses. So I feel as if growing up with that, like my parents were never really ones to uh, to baby us um, or anything like that. They thought the cure for everything was fresh air, get out of the house, go play, like go work. Um, you know, they were against sleeping in and uh, all of that. So I feel as if that definitely raised my siblings and I to be the type of people that we are today. So, and it's, it's nice when I see them, you know, they're, because where I live, I live close to the farm and they drive by, they beep, you know, they cheer me on, but it's, it's good. We all have something that we care a lot about and whether it's passionate about, you know, the dairy cows are running or, you know, my sister's a nurse, so she's passionate about that and her growing family. It definitely was instilled with us since a very small age. Yeah, I can imagine. How does that not rub off if you grow up in that situation? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for, for giving me your time. You're such a busy lady. I appreciate all the time you gave us. Um, this has been absolutely fantastic. It really has been a blast talking to you. And I just want to finish up with a couple questions that I like to ask near the end of every episode. First of all, if you're going for a run, are you going with headphones or no headphones? I'm going with headphones. If I'm by myself, headphones always. <laughs> All right. And what are you listening to? I'm either listening to, this is going to be lame, one of your podcasts. Oh, or... I did not. I did not mean to do that, listeners. I did not no. mean to. <laughs> no, I know, but I'm, I'm like, I'm just not really lame. But yes, I listen to your podcast. Um, if it's one of my long, my long, um, easy runs, or I, I listen to some pretty, to pretty heavy rap if I'm running. <laughs> If I'm running with music. All right, Brooke, that makes two of us. All right, so we have, we have to dive in. We have to dive into that one. All right, yeah. so, so, all right, so what are some of the artists that you're going to be listening to if you're listening to rap? <laughs> I really like Nelly and Wiz Khalifa and Eminem, like early 2000s rap. That's what I'm into. Oh, I love it. See, you, 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 you sound as if you're embarrassed to be saying this. There's nothing wrong with this, Brooke. <laughs> no, no, I know. Well, good. I'm glad there's. I'm glad you're in this boat. <laughs> yes, yeah, I would say that mine gears a little bit, a little bit more towards mid '90s, if Ooh. anything. So I'm, I'm more. Like, what are you listening to? So I usually, I'm usually podcasts and audiobooks. I think that I was like the first person to ever download Audible. So okay. I've been like, I've been hot on audiobooks like ever since. Basically, I was had the since I had the ability to listen to them. Um, you know, I still remember buying like the CDs. And like throwing them in a disc man. Not that I would run with the disc man, but like just yeah. having it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I always had that. But like like on my run today, I was listening to a podcast 
from Lindsay Hines. She did a great podcast with Sarah Bishop uh, that I really liked, but they didn't go through the whole length of my run. So after that, I was listening to like Nas and Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul and some of them. Yes, love it. All right, so that's that's fantastic. I love I love I love the rap references. Whenever that happens, I like completely dive into that. All right, so with that being said, you've run a ton of marathons, but what race is still on the bucket list for you? Ah, bucket list race. Hmm. What one? I'm trying to think. There's there's quite a few. I mean, there, I want to do one on every continent. So I know that one's like really like one that I really want to do. But the Marine Corps Marathon too is one I really want to uh, enjoy and run in. Okay. And which race, if you could only run one more race the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, which race would that be? Boston Marathon. <laughs> that's like, that's like, like 50% of the people say the Boston Marathon. I, I remember the first time I took off for the Boston Marathon, I told them, cause I, like I said, I don't, I don't like missing work and you have to take off the Monday cause you know, only Massachusetts gets that day off. And then the Tuesday after to travel. And I said, you know, it's going to be a one-time thing. I'm only planning on doing it once. And then once I ran and I said, oh, I want to do this race until I don't qualify. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean it. You're right. It, people, some people don't know that it's a holiday in Massachusetts, and mm-hmm. I live, you know, ten miles from the Rhode Island Massachusetts line. So a lot of people in Rhode Island will go up for the marathon too. But that's part of the reason that the crowds there are so epic is that no mm-hmm. one's working. So it's yeah. just one big party um, in the whole state, and then also they, they also make sure they have the the Red Sox will play a home game that day mm-hmm. in the afternoon. So the people who are actually in Boston proper will then kind of bounce from one to the other, which is always kind of special. Um, all right. Last question. Again, thank you so much for joining us today is if you could have any running partner, not for the rest of your life, but for, you know, a few select runs, who would it be? Uh, I know. I think Kara Goucher. I really think she would be someone awesome to, to run with. And why is or- that? Because she just seems so humble and down to earth and family oriented and her little boy so cute and to come back and run after having after giving birth to him um, or Shalane Flanagan after her New York City win. I just love how ambitious she is with her goals and she owns it. I love that about her. There you go. Brooke, thank you again. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. It is an absolutely amazing thing what you've been able to accomplish. Uh, all six Abbott World Marathon majors by the age of 29, the youngest in history. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Matt. It was great talking to you. Likewise. Have a great day. You too. Bye.